Well, this feels like the shortest summer of all time, at least to me. Does it feel like that way to you? I counted it up. It was only 75 days of summer this year, which just seems less than what Phineas and Ferb taught you. I heard that there was 104 days of summer vacation, and school comes along just to end it. You don't have to sing, but the annual problem of our generation is finding a good way to spend it. That's what I was taught, but um, 75 days this summer, I guess. Uh, But it's interesting because you come to the last week of summer, and you, you probably think back a little bit about your summer and think about the things that you did. Like, that's the first question everyone asks when you get back to school, right? What'd you do this summer? And you're like, nothing. I slept a lot. I will... I went on vacation. Some of you went on vacation, and others of you, well, most of you, went to revival, and there's things you can talk about, right? But um, it's, it's over is the bad news, I guess, today. The good news is, hey, summer was great. Bad news is it's over, right? Um, well, every season is like that, just to let you know. I know you know that. It's obvious. But every season of your life will have a starting point, and it will have an ending point. And sometimes it will end faster than you think, and you look back, and you think, how did I use that? Well, We're talking about adulting this summer. That's what our whole series has been about, which means how does it look like for you to grow up and be a mature, godly Christian, right? Because that's the goal, that you would leave this ministry when you go to college or you go to school or you enter the workforce, that you would leave here being a mature adult Christian that's ready to make more disciples for Jesus. That's what we've been talking about all summer. I want to finish this series with an interesting passage, one that many of you probably have never heard about before. And it might actually sound counterintuitive to what the rest of you heard from the Bible, what it sounds like. Because it comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a very counterintuitive book. And if you know anything about this book, it's written by a guy who lived a crazy, colorful life. And he looks back, and he has things to say to different groups of people. And there's an interesting little section that covers two chapters in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 that says, I have something to say, an old man says to young people. Young men and young women, I have something to say to you. That's what Solomon says. So I'd love for you to grab a Bible and open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you got one of our Bibles, it's probably on page 559 or 524, if you got one of our Bibles from the back. But Ecclesiastes is kind of right there in the middle of your Bibles, and it's an Old Testament book that's very pessimistic. What I mean by that is a lot of people look at this book and say, wow, this guy hates life. And there's a sense in which that's true. Solomon writes this book and says, yeah, life sucks, basically. Um, And he says, not only does life suck sometimes, he also says that life is short. Life is fleeting. There's a word that's translated vanity in our text. It's the word which means empty. It's missed. And all of what he spends the first few chapters of this book saying is, all the things that I thought would satisfy me, all the things that I thought when I was a young person would make me happy, it all was just mist. It was all vapor. It's vanity. I thought it was like I was trying to hang on to a shadow. It was like I I tried so hard to be happy and satisfied with these things, but it didn't work. It didn't make me happy. I thought it would. It made me happy for a little bit, but it was fleeting. It was gone. If you don't believe in, um, this guy Solomon was the type of guy who got everything that he wanted. He was the son of King David, and it says in the Bible that he was the most powerful and rich king that Israel ever had. More powerful than his dad David and more powerful than anyone that came after. This guy was so powerful and so rich that foreign kings and queens came to his land just to see the stuff that he built and just to talk to his servants and say, what is it like working for King Solomon? He was so successful that he was more than anyone that came before him or after him. He was so successful in his relationships that he actually, the Bible says, he married 700 women 
okay? And that's not an exaggeration. That's not a rounding up. That's crazy. Okay, that's crazy, okay? Um, if you think about that, how that even works, right? Um, but he was so popular, so like this guy, of all the people, you'd be like, wow, if I want to be successful, I want to be like that guy. And here's what he turns around and says, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. I had everything that anyone could ever want, more than I ever imagined. My wildest dreams came true, but it was vapor. It was empty. It was vanity. And after this whole book, he talks about, hey, people who really want to be rich, guess what? You're never going to be happy with your riches. You want to make $100,000, guess what? Next year, you're going to want to make two, then 250, then a million. Then you're not going to be happy with the $500,000 that you made because you had a bad year and you're so consumed and then you die. And all your money and all your stuff goes to somebody else. Because all the people that put their hope in relationships, it's so great until they turn on you, until they abandon you, or until they die and you lose them forever. Right? It's like pretty pessimistic. That's what I mean by this book looks at life and it, it, there's so many beautiful things in life. And this book says, yeah, they're beautiful, but like for their short amount of time. And then they get, you know, ugly and old and, and pass away and, and you don't really like them anymore. That's what a lot of things in life are like. Well, he ends this book with a helpful warning for us. He turns his attention from just talking to everybody and just kind of writing to everybody. Then he narrows his focus to you. He looks at your group, he looks at teenagers, and he writes something to teenagers. Look what he says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. He says, light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Right? Maybe not looking directly at the sun, but I guess it's better to live in uh, sunny Southern California than a place that never had sunshine, right? Like Alaska in the wintertime, where the sun doesn't come up. It's pleasant to see the sun, it's good. Now, what is he saying? Look at verse 8. So... If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Be so thankful that God gave you a long life. He says, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All this, all that comes to vanity, right? Even a good life, even if you live to be 90 or 95 or 102 years old, what he says is eternity is longer. The days that you're going to be dead are longer than the days that you're going to be alive, even if you get a great long life. And he says, guess what? If you get a great long life, be so happy. I mean, God blessed you in an amazing way. He's given you a long life. He's given you maybe family. He's maybe given you riches. He's given you so much to enjoy. So be so thankful. Be thankful in every season. Don't just be thankful in some of them. Do you see the text says, rejoice in them all? Rejoice as a 17-year-old. Rejoice as a 26-year-old. Rejoice as a 34-year-old and a 45-year-old and a 63-year-old and a 71-year-old. Rejoice in them all. Rejoice as a 15-year-old and a 14-year-old but remember that you're going to die, right? That's this book. It kind of goes back and forth. Like, hey, this is so great, but you're going to die, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, that kind of puts a hamper on things a little bit, right? Well, keep reading. Look at verse number nine, the main verse I want us to look at this morning. He says, rejoice, oh, young man. Talking to this teenager, he says, rejoice in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Here's what he's saying. You should be happier as a teenager right now. Be happier, right? Some of us are not happy says you should all be happy, right? Why? Just because you're a teenager? Yeah, just because you're a teenager. Be happy in your youth. God's given you a gift. Look what he goes on to say. Rejoice in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. What that means is that you, as a younger person, compared to maybe your small group leader, you get to make different choices in life and kind of go on a different path. You do have some freedom to kind of make some choices and go to a different college and go to a different school and maybe work in a different area and maybe pursue a different dream. Or for those of you, all of you are single, right? Um, you can pursue a spouse, right? Your married people cannot pursue a spouse anymore, right? They've got one, right? I know it's kind of a weird thought. But um, you have that like life adventure kind of ahead of you is what he's trying to say. 
So rejoice in that. Be happy. Be thankful. Just walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But, and this is the most important sentence, I think, in the verse, because while he says, enjoy yourself, have a good time, which, again, most of us don't think the Bible talks like that, but it does talk like that. Have a good time. Enjoy being a teenager. But, no, remember that for all of these things, what things? Well, walking in the way of your heart, in the way of your eyes. No, for all of those things, God will bring you into judgment. What that means is have such a great time as a teenager, but remember this, that every last thing that you do, every last choice, every last decision, every last relationship, all of it will be brought out into God's judgment and there will be an evaluation. Even the things that we want to forget about, even the things that we want to put aside and say, oh yeah, I did that, but I was bad. No, everything it says is just going to be brought into God's judgment one day. So how fun of a time can you have? Well, you can have a great time, but you have to have a righteous good time. You have to enjoy things that are good and righteous that you'd be thankful to have a conversation with God about. Yes, I totally enjoyed playing my sport. I totally enjoyed playing my music. Thank you, God. It was such a great gift. The things that we can enjoy and we're not ashamed about before God, that's the kind of fun he's telling them to have. Have a great time. Enjoy your youth. Verse number 10, this is the opposite of enjoyment. He says, what you should do is you should remove vexation from your heart. Vexation is a word we don't use very often, but what it means is, it, it means like, ugh. Did you get that? Did you, can you spell that? Uh, uh, uh. Okay? That means different things to different of you, right? What makes you feel like, mm, I don't like that. What makes you feel that way, right? For some of you, that kind of expression of like, oh, I don't like this, it comes with your anxiety, right? You're anxious. Some stuff makes you uneasy or anxious. For others, you, others of you, it's, it's anger. It's things that make you upset or mad. Disappointments that you have. Envy, right? jealousy, looking at what she has or what he has, and it just makes you vexed, vexation. Really, vexation, the, the term means it's a combination of anxiety and anger mixed together, right? And if you think about many teenagers, I think that's one of the biggest problems they'll tell you. If you ask your friend, how are you feeling today? How do you feel over? What do you think of life? You know what they're going to tell you, most of them? Vexation. Some kind of combination of disappointment, anger, and anxiety. Where does that come from? Well, anxiety that comes from, I don't know what the future's like, so I'm anxious. I'm vexed and stressed. And others of them, anger for saying, I don't like the way that my life has been, and I want it to be fixed. That combination of anger and anxiety, all of us feel it to a certain extent. And guess what? The Bible says, and it's warning us, you know, that's a special temptation for people who are younger. And here's why. Because a lot of people that are older, they've had disappointment, they've had heartache, they've had chronic pain, and they can look back and say, yeah, I mean, this isn't a big deal. They have like this kind of perspective to kind of look at whole, all of their life and say, well, this little problem, it's not going to vex me, right? Don't worry about it. But for those who are younger, who haven't gone through that, this, this, this text is saying, hey, remove vexation. Stop being anxious. Stop being freaked out. Stop being worried. Stop being mad. Right? And think about where all that comes from. All of it comes from a heart of pride that says, I think I deserve all this in life. I think they don't deserve it, but I think I deserve it, God. Right? Even we can direct our vexation to God. Right? God, wh wh why is that person who's stupid and not as smart as me, why is that person going to a better school than I am? Vexation. Why is that girl getting all that attention? I, she's not even pretty, right? Vexation. 
Why is that guy on the team? I'm so much better than him at my sport. That's vexation. There's a special temptation that you have to be vexed. Anxious, anger, all coming together. Where does it stem from? It stems from a pride of thinking that the world revolves around you. That's where it comes from. So he says this, remove vexation. If you're, if you're envious of somebody, stop. If you're angry that other people in your life have done better than you or maybe are smarter than you or better looking than you or more popular than you, stop stressing about it. Stop it. Why? It says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. It's fleeting. Stop. Like, stop worrying about it. They're going to enjoy their time for just a little bit, but just stop worrying about it. Stop making your whole you know, worth wrapped up in, in how much you think that you're liked. Stop it. It's not what you're worth in God's eyes. Stop being vexed about those things. Stop being angry. Right? This is an important lesson for us to learn. I wish there wasn't a chapter break here because he keeps talking to young people. Look at verse number one of chapter 12. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember God. Not just when you're older. Like a lot of us think, well, just we're coming to church just because we have to, and then when we're older, we'll live our life, and then at some point, maybe I'll walk my way back to God, and maybe he'll have me then. What this text says is, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why? It's before the evil days come, and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Basically, what he's saying is, enjoy your youth, remember God, live like full out, so to speak. But remember God's judgment and do this because you're going to hate your life when you get older. <laughs> um, you're going to hate how your body feels. And you might say, what are you talking about? The next eight verses here, we're not going to read all of them, but it's a poetic description of what it looks like to get older. It says, you know, when you get older, you, you, your, your grinders are going to stop, right? That's talking about your teeth. And your eyes, your windows are going to grow dim. And the strong men won't be able to work anymore, your arms and your legs. You're going to come to a point in your life where things are going to hurt, where you're going to go through so much heartache that you're going to, like, not like living as much anymore, right? I know that sounds pessimistic and negative, right? But you see how in Ecclesiastes it's like, it's just real, just laying it out. Hey, here's the negative, but guess what? Here's the positive. Enjoy your youth. Use your youth. Remember your creator in your days of youth because do you know that right now you are in a better position to serve God than even some of your leaders most of your leaders, right? You're in a better position. You can do more for God than they can, right? Wow, not right now, right? But in the course of your life, God will probably gift many of you to surpass any leader, any pastor at this church. There'll probably be people in this room who will serve God in such amazing ways because you heed this text. But there will also be people who don't listen to this text, who don't remember their creator in the days of their youth, and you're gonna come to the point of old age and you are going to regret the heck out of your life. You're just going to be like, I cannot believe that I wasted my time on this relationship, on this thing, on, on that pursuit. I cannot believe I wasted my life. I wasted it, and it's gone. That's how some of us feel at the end of the summer, right? Summer's gone. I wasted it. You have a great gift in your youth. Obviously, we don't know how long your youth is going to last. But this text says something very important for all of us. It says this, enjoy the youth that God gives you. Enjoy it. Because your, your, your life now is going to be better than it is in 10 years. Even though some of you think, oh, it's not until I get to that point, until I'm married, until I have kids, that's when I'll be happy. The scripture says, no, 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 your youth right now is really good. 
Enjoy your youth, every stage of your life, for God's glory. And remember God's glory, because God's going to bring all of our youthful decisions into judgment. God will evaluate everything that we've done, every decision we make, and some of you are going to invest well, and others of you are going to throw your life away. Those of you who are on a path of throwing your life away, I want this morning to be the, the changing point where you stop throwing your life away. Verses 7 to 10 say that God has given us a season of youthfulness and is a good gift. And you should be so thankful, and we should be so thankful, I'll include myself in this youth, um, that God has given us a season of youth to enjoy. That's why point number one, I want you to write down, I want you to be grateful for the season of youth that God is giving you. I could tell your leaders, be thankful for the gift of youth that God gave you, because it's over for them. They're worried about retirement and sending their kids to college and their knees hurting, and their back always hurting, but you don't. You have a season of youth that God's in the middle of giving you. It's like he's dispensing this youth on all you every day. Every day you wake up, and your back doesn't hurt, and your neck doesn't hurt, and and your kids aren't crying downstairs. All right, guess what? God is giving you a gift of youth. We don't think about it in the moment, but that's why this text is helpful. It gets us all to, like, step out of our perspective, see our life from a new perspective, and think, okay, this is God's wisdom for my life. I need to enjoy it. Be grateful for it. Whether you are a Christian or not, this is important for you, right? Some of you say, I'm not a Christian, I don't know God. Okay, well, you should still be grateful to your creator because he made you and he gave you your life and he gave it to you partially for your enjoyment. Acts 17, 28 says that in him, in God, we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own pagan poets have said, for indeed, we're all his offspring, right? Whether you're a Christian or not, God has given you your life and your youth is a gift, Even if you reject Jesus as your savior, God has still given you your youth as a gift. Matthew 5, 25, or Matthew 5, 45, rather, says that God gives the rain on the good and the evil. God gives good gifts even to people who constantly reject him, right? And even if you know and you come here to True North and you're one of these people that's like, okay, I'm not into this, but I'm just here because I have to be. Great, guess what? I'm talking to you for a second. God is still giving you your youth right now as a gift, right? You should be thankful to God, right? Sometimes we complain about gifts that we have. I had a situation the other day where I accidentally complained about a gift I had. I was on Instagram, and I got an ad for golf bags. Right? They have me pegged. Um, I'm a golfer, right? And I'm, like, looking at these golf bags, and they're, like, way too expensive. And I'm looking at them, like, oh, man, should I spend $300 on something I already have? Oh, maybe. I don't know. And I'm looking, and, you know, my wife kind of comes over my shoulder. This is what happens when you get married, right? Your spouse will come over your shoulder and say, hey, uh, what you doing? Which what you, what you want to buy over here? I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm just looking. Like, I just want a new golf bag. Like, I don't like mine. And she's like, oh, yeah. Um, didn't you just get your golf bag, like, semi-recently? And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's just, it's just bad. Like, part of it's tweaked at the bottom, and it's all bent, and, and I just don't like it. I don't like how heavy it is. I don't like all this stuff. She said, oh, interesting. Do you remember when I got you that golf bag? Like, for Christmas? Like, it wasn't that long ago? I'm like, oh, yeah. I take that back. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe buy me another one. No, uh, just kidding. Uh, but I was like, oh, man, blew it. Yep, that's a bad husband moment right there, right? I was complaining the whole time, and she's sitting there taking it, just listening, like, oh, oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, isn't that interesting? You know, that's a gift I got for you, right? That's what it came down to. You know, if you're anxious, if you're worried, if you don't like your life, okay, I want you to feel that same feeling. God has given you your life. You don't like your parents? Guess what? God's given you your parents. You don't like your siblings? Guess what? God's given you your siblings right? Maybe you envy other people who might have it better than you, and obviously there are people in this room who have it better than you, 
right? And if you have it the best, guess what? There's people that have it better than you too. So don't get cocky, right? But God has given you your gift of your life and he sovereignly ordained that you are where you are right now, that you are the age that you are, that you are the gender that you are, that you are here, even in this, this church, he's, he's ordained that. Be happy with God, what God has given you. Don't rebel against him. Don't say I don't want your gift. You might be surprised, but the Bible actually commands that his people, God's people, would enjoy the life that God has given them, even if it's not as good as some of other people. We're in Ecclesiastes. Just look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 5, he talks about money a lot. And he says, hey, people who always want money, they're never going to be satisfied with money. Right? Okay, that's good to know. Right? Even billionaires and millionaires could tell you that. Right? that they, they're chasing and chasing and never happy. At the end of this chapter about money, here's what Solomon says. This is Ecclesiastes 5, 18. He says, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun in the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot, right? Wow, interesting. So what he says is, hey, here's the best thing for everyone to do. If everyone just went home, right, ate their meal, ate their pizza, drank their Pepsi, right, and just sat down on the couch and just said, wow, I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for my family. That would be the best thing for people to do. That'd be the best thing for you to do, right? To come home after your first day of school and think, oh, school, I remember that place. Don't like it very much, right? Um, now we're back here. What's the best thing for you to do? Well, the best thing for you to do is eat your Del Taco, right? Or eat whatever your mom makes you for dinner. Just sit down there and say, I'm thankful God has given me my life. I'm thankful for my toil. I'm thankful even for my homework, right? Why would I be thankful for my homework? Well, these people were toiling a lot harder than you and I, right? Working in the fields, making their crops. Look at verse 19. It says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power should enjoy them, right? So you might say, I'm not wealthy. I'm not, you know, I don't have a lot of possessions. Obviously, history and sociology would probably disagree with you on that point. You do have a lot of wealth and possessions and even power, right? You have freedom to do things that most people in this world have not had the freedom to do, right? It says, what should we do? Well, we should accept them as our lot and rejoice in our toil. Rejoice in even the hardships, right? Those of you who do sports, you know this, right? Feel that, like when you feel the burn, you're like, oh, but it's good though, right? I love training. I love working. I love sweating because it's good. What you're doing there is you're enjoying your toil, right? That's what Solomon says about our whole life, right? You have a hard family at home. You have a hard situation at school, right? Is it really hard? It might be hard, right? And he's not saying say it's good because a lot of toil is bad and a lot of pain is bad. It's not good. It's bad. But you can still at least step back and say, this is what God has given me. It's okay. I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to be thankful for it. He says, for this is the gift of God. Verse number 20 says, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Basically saying, you're not even going to remember all the hardships that you went through if your focus was just on, I'm going to enjoy what God has given me. Right? You're going to forget about the trials. You're going to look back and be like, oh, I forgot we went through that something so hard. I forgot about that. Because this person has had joy in their heart and God has kept them sustained and say, oh, it's all okay. Enjoying God's gifts. If you're in Ecclesiastes 5, look at Ecclesiastes 9. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9 says something very similar. But this time it talks about relationships, right? What did Ecclesiastes 5 say? You should enjoy your food. You should enjoy your drink. You should enjoy your life. You should enjoy your work. We should enjoy those things. Ecclesiastes 9 goes even further. You should enjoy your relationships. Verse number 9 says, this is Ecclesiastes 9, 9. 
You should enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun because this is your portion in life in your toil in which you toil under the sun. Right? Wow. So you should enjoy your, your marriage, right? You should enjoy your life with your wife, right? Um, obviously, that's not written to teenagers. That's written to people who are older. But still, I think it's a good principle for us that God has actually given many gifts for you to enjoy that you think right now God is withholding from you. You think, well, if, you know, I was really happy I'd have work, I'd have, I'd have a relationship, I'd have these things. Well, this says, look, once you have those things, here's what you need to do. Enjoy them. Because the pursuit, if you get in this mindset of always wanting, always pursuing, right, not to pick on anybody, but that, that wanderlust mentality, you need to stop that, right? There's only a short time for that. There's that youthful season where you can do that, and then you got to stop, and you got to be thankful, and you got to say, this is what God has given me. That doesn't mean you can't be ambitious. That doesn't mean you can't be successful. But it's a mindset that you, as a Christian, need to have. Even if you're not a Christian, you'll have a better life living this way. I want to say that with caution because I don't want you to think that, okay, I'll choose that path. I'll just not be a Christian and enjoy my life. Um, You need to get right with God. That's the most important thing. But if you just want general wisdom from God's word, it's that, that be thankful. Enjoy your life. Enjoy marriage. Enjoy sex, right? Some of us think that, okay, it's something I can't have. You know, that's why you want that, because God has designed you for it, and he's actually designed one amazing expression where you can express those sexual desires. It's when you get married, the most fulfilling way. It's like, that's how God designed it. And then you live in the way that God wants you to, and you're like, oh, I get it now. That's how God designed it. And as my, my parents used to say, my grandparents used to say this too, right? Fire is good. You just got to keep it in the fireplace, right? Um, you know, you could take God's good gifts, and you could destroy your life if you don't keep it in its proper place. You know, God has given you fire, so to speak, to enjoy in the fireplace. If not, you're going to burn down your house, right? And that's, you know, a good analogy to sexual desire, right? God has given you an expression, an outlet for sexual desire, but it's meant for something, right? And those of you who, like Proverbs chapter 7 says, are, are like fountains, you know, giving yourself over to the streets, so to speak. You thought that was from memes. No, that was actually from God's word, right, for the streets, um, says you're like a fountain who's taking all your water and you're spraying it all over the streets and you're, you're wasting it on people who don't care about you and don't love you when in fact God probably has someone, 95% of you, that you're going to have an outlet and a place to give your sexual desire to, your husband or your wife. And so he says enjoy your life, right? Because that's what God has designed you for. Then verse 10, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. Right? When you're in the grave, right, you're not going to keep working anymore. So it says just do it with all your might. Work hard. Be the, be the best employee. Have a great attitude. Just do it because God has given you that as a gift. I think for many of us, the best way we can apply this right here, and I was so guilty of this. I became a Christian when I was a freshman in high school here in True North, and um, thankfully because of that, I think, um, you know, God kept me from a lot of things that maybe I could have done elsewhere, right? Many of your leaders have testimonies where they didn't repent of their sins at a young age, right? And they repented later, and they got into more sin because of it. Um, But one thing I was supremely guilty of, right, um, was this. I had a desire to always be at the next thing and at the next stage, and I couldn't be thankful and happy where God had me right now, right? Um, 
That's not just, oh, for those of you who are living, you know, some wild lifestyle that's apart from God. Even you people who think that you're really mature, godly Christians, I bet you struggle with this even more than the average person. I bet you're guilty because I know I was. I don't mean to project on you anything that's undeserved, but I know that that was a problem for me. It's a constant problem that I always have to be the next place. Remember when you just had to be in high school? where you were done with the narrow, you were done with junior high, you were done with going to your intermediate school, and you're like, I want to go to high school. Then you went to high school. How is it? Right? Well, it's, it's got its you know, good, good things and bad things. Right? It's great. Right? But you know what I, I really want? I, I just, I go to high school, but I really, I really need to get my driver's license because that's when I'd be happy because then I could go out with my friends. And Okay, yeah, that's great. Great. Um, and then you get your driver's license, but you got no car. And it's like, well, you know, I can't really be happy. I mean, I, I think about all the fun things I could do if I, you know, have my license and a car. You go, okay, great. Then you're still in high school and you say, well, you know, you get to your, the last part of your senior year and you're hating life because you're thinking, why am I still here? Um, I should just like leave or like drop out or like, don't drop out, right? Graduate, right? Um, and you're doing that and you're thinking, you know, I'll be happy when I get to college. Then you get to college, then you want to come home. <laughs> You live in your dorm room, and you're like, ah, oh, it's not so great. But, you know, you do your college thing, and maybe some of you start working in college. Maybe you um, don't even go to college. Maybe you just go straight to working and think, okay, you know, I'll really be happy. I'm only making, you know, you know 50 grand right now. I'll, I'll be happy when I have 80, because then, be, then I'll be settled. I'll be set. I'm making 80 grand a year. I mean, that's a lot of money. I'll be happy once I get that. It's not how it works. You get 80 grand, and guess what you want? Well, I really need 110, because... Um, then I could have the place that I want. I mean, you can't buy with $80,000, not here in South Orange County. Maybe, maybe I'll move. Maybe I'll, and then you're always wanting. Maybe you think what you want is freedom, living on your own. Once you're living on your own, then you need money. And you got money, and you're like, well, I'm a lonely person, right? Not married. Then you, then you want romance, right? Some of you want romance right now, okay? Um, great. And then when you get it, will you be happy? Will you, be, will you be happy when that guy who just looks at you the right way, will you be happy? Really? That girl who's just like amazing. She's just like, everybody wants to be that girl, but she's my girl. Then will you be happy? Right? Then you got to get engaged. And it's like, well, we're not engaged yet. Right? It's like the, we, like we say in Alliance, the Thanksgiving conversations, right? So you don't have a girlfriend yet, right? What's your problem, right? Um, so you don't have a boyfriend? Oh, are you just not trying or like... That's what the young adults, what they, we have those conversations. Um, and then you get engaged, and you're like, well, when's the, when's the wedding date? Because then when you're engaged, guess what? Uh, <laughs> one of my uh, college pastors used to say engagement is similar to the false doctrine of purgatory. Um, it's just like, it's like you just can't get out, right? Um, and you're engaged, right? And you have to be married because you, you'll only really be happy if you're married because what's the whole stinking point of getting engaged? It's so that you'll get married, right? And then, you know, You'll be doing all this wedding planning. I just, I just got to get past the wedding, guys. Got to get past the wedding. Right? Then you get past the wedding. Right? Like, oh, that's cool. This is awesome. Um, try that for a year or two or three or four. Right? Um, I, we really need to buy a house. Right? Well, we can't keep renting anymore. Right? Oh, you know what? You know, I, we really need to have kids. Right? And if you go through hard things with having kids, then it's like, wow, this whole infertility thing is, is horrible. I'll only be happy. I'll only be a, a whole person if I have a kid. Right? Then you got kids. Maybe some people are going to be blessed with kids here. Right? And then you're going to have one, and you're going to hate life for a second, right? And then you're going to be like, 
okay, no, this is good. All right, this is good. This is, this is what we signed up for, right? When I got married, this is kind of what I'm signing up for. That, that's kind of what happens, right? You get married. Kind of, I mean, kids are kind of the natural process of that, right? So it's what I signed up for. This is great. Then you have kids, and then you want another one, and then you want less after you have four, right? You're like, wow, this is a lot. You need to buy a different car to fit all of them. And then you get to the different car. Um, and then your kids, by the way, um, there comes a time, I, I'm, I'm still somewhere in this process, but there comes a time where you need your kids to go to school because you just can't. It's like, I just need them, some of them to go to school, right? You got too many of them, like, they need to go to school so that I have, you know, those six hours back of my life, right? And then you're taking them to school and you're driving them everywhere. And you're like, I can't wait till my kid gets his license because then finally I will be happy once my kid gets his license because then, yeah, then he can drive and then I won't have to worry about him. Then I'll be happy. Then, you know, I'll really be happy once we can convert, you know, their bedroom into the office that we always wanted or the, the home theater that we always wanted. And your dad, you know, looks like that meme where he's like looking around the corner like, when are you going to leave? <laughs> right? He's going to say, I'll really be happy, you know, once, you know, once the kids move out. And then your mom, after you move out, she'll only be happy when you're back. <laughs> and they'll oh, we'll only be happy when the kids are around, right? Then after that, maybe they get married Maybe the, dad, the dad's happy, like, I just want my daughter, th this wedding to be over, right? Because this is just, you know, $20,000 I'm spending on this stupid wedding. Like, I just need it to be over, right? Um, then, then you're past that. And then all the kids might get married. And then you're like, okay, great. All my kids are married. Whew, good. Um, they all live far away. I, I won't be happy until they live close to me, right? I won't be happy until they're, they're close and I can see my grandkids. And you got grandkids and it's like, great, amazing. But they live two states away. I won't be happy unless they live there. So then you move or they move, and this all thing works out, and then you'll I'll only be happy once I have enough money for retirement. Finally, I can stop this job. I've been working at it for a long time. been in the workforce for you know, 35, 40, 45 years. I want to be done. I want to retire. And I'll only be happy once I'm set to retire. Then you retire. Think this through. And when will you only be happy? Right? I don't know. I haven't got to that point in my computing, right? Um, when you're dead, like, and then you're dead, right? And, th and then maybe your spouse dies, and it's like, oh, I, I can't be happy anymore, right? Then people in your life start dying, and your body hurts every day. What does God's word say? How about you just, like, stop? Stop wanting so bad just for two seconds and enjoy what God has given you now because do you know that once you get to that place, you'll miss where you came from, right? Once you're in college, some of you are going to feel in the pit of your stomach, man, I really wish... You know, I was in Elisa Viejo right now. I really, I really miss Rancho Santa Margarita. I really miss Mission Viejo. I really miss it right now. Right? You'll have kids and you'll be like, wow, I really miss when I was able to sleep through the night. Then right? your kids will be old and gone and you'll really miss the days when they were little and they were cute and they actually liked to talk to you. Right? <laughs> you'll miss it when it's over. That's what Solomon's saying. Enjoy every stage. Don't wait to enjoy it later. Enjoy it now. That was a long point, number one, because um, point number two and three are quick. Uh, they come from the same text we've been looking at back in Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11, 9 says, enjoy it so much, but just remember in all your enjoyments and all the things that you want to pursue, remember that you and God are going to sit down and evaluate every last decision, every last thought, every last word. There will be an evaluation day to your life. That's what he says. You've got to remember that. Point number two. Be thoughtful about God's evaluation of your life. Be thoughtful about this evaluation that's coming soon. Some of us, with certain things, we think that um, we do them and they're forgotten. 
right? We bank on it. The people who don't turn in library books and just hope that there's not like a $10,000 fine waiting for them. They're just like, okay, library's not even there anymore. I hope it's forgotten, right? Things that we do, we just think, okay, I hope they're forgotten. And a lot of things in life might be that way, right? That there's a statute of limitations, so to speak, on things. Um, if you commit a misdemeanor in California, I know I probably shouldn't tell you this, but um, there's a statute of limitations, like a year to four years, depending if you um, can't be charged with a crime after that. Um, none for murder, none for the big ones, but like you can't get charged for a crime that you committed like a really long time ago. That's apparently, um, okay. Um, but I just want you to know that when it comes to God's judgment of your life, um, the Bible could not be more clear about this. I want to give you a lot of passages to write down. But God could not be more clear that we will be evaluated. Even those of you who are Christians and saying, my sin is atoned for in Jesus, you're absolutely right if you're saved. But here's the thing. You will still be evaluated by God, the righteous judge, for every last decision. Okay, Bible's super clear about that. Three verses for people who are non-Christians, okay? Three verses about God's judgment for people who are not saved. First one is Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. It says, and I saw the great and dead, the, the, the dead, great and small, so it doesn't matter who they are, all these people who don't know God, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The Bible could not be more clear that God's evaluation of your life will be based on what you did. Not what people did to you, right? But what you chose to do. Even if you are sinned against, you can be righteous through that because it's based on what you've done. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus speaks in this one. He says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. That's Matthew 16, 27. Jesus is very clear. If you're not in Christ, God will pay you back for what you've done. Hell will be a just punishment that will vary based on people's actions in their life. Right? It's not going to be the same for everyone. It's still separation from God, but there will be layers of judgment because we believe God is a just God, judge because he says that over and over again in Revelation 20, 12. In Matthew 16, 27, another verse for you, Romans 2, verse 5. We just read this in the Daily Bible reading recently. It says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It's like if we're apart from God, it's like we're stacking up our sins, so to speak, and it's like they're all being kept track of, every last one of them. Yep, God never misses, right? He sees all of it. That's for people who are not saved. And what's going to happen for them? Well, if you choose for your whole life to reject the only way of salvation, in Jesus Christ, God will justly and righteously and exactly judge every last person, okay? Um, justly, exactly. It's not like it's some blanket throwaway, like, oh, you all just belong in the same pile. No, in the midst of the condemned pile, there is specific judgment meted out, okay? Bible's very clear about that. But here's the thing. Bible's also clear for you Christians that God will also evaluate your life. It's still judgment. It's just a different kind of judgment, a judgment without a condemnation, because Romans 8 says there's no condemnation of those in Christ, okay? Um, here's four verses for you. First of all, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. The end of this book that we've just been studying, here's what it says. Here's how Solomon ends the book. It's the best couple verses in the whole book, I think. The end of the matter, all has been heard. 
Here's what you should do. Fear God, number one, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Right? He's going to bring it all out. All the secrets, all the things that you thought were hidden, and all the things that you thought you hid from everyone else, guess what? They're all going to be brought out. That's what God's word is so clear about. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Right? Like, you and God are going to have a discussion about the careless words you said. The things that you said that you thought were private, maybe in the passenger seat of someone's car, or that you thought people wouldn't hear about, the things that you texted, or the things that you put in print, the notes that you wrote, all of that. It's like all that will be brought before you and God, and there will be an evaluation of everything, all the words, even the careless words. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 to 10, talks about Christians who really want to please God. And here's what it says. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 8. It says, yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Right? He says, I would rather be dead than alive in, in this situation. Right? For whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Like That's the, the thing that's going to happen for all of us when we stand before God He's going to evaluate your good and your bad, and he's going to reward the good, and you will suffer loss because of the bad. And that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, I'm not going to read it, but what it says is you'll suffer loss if you had all these opportunities and all these things that you could have done for God that you said, I'm not going to have that conversation. I'm not going to take that road. I'm not going to do that good thing for God. Even that will be judged and evaluated on God's day. I want you to think what kind of sins that you would avoid if you remember God's judgment every day. Uh, one thing that you would do, the Bible says, is you would speak better words to each other. Uh, James 5.9 says that you wouldn't grumble against one another because you remember that the judge is standing at the door. Right? When you grumble against people, when you complain, and, and this is like the most common sin in high school, is you always complain about every teacher and every assignment. Okay, Always happens, right? Okay, God is listening. He is standing at the door. He's got his ears, so to speak, listening to all of that. And when we grumble, we do it in the face of the judge. Um, second thing I think people would avoid is a lot of sexual sin. You would avoid that, especially those of you in here who would bring other people into your sexual sin. Okay, um, here's why. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 6, says that God is an avenger of that wrongdoing, of sexual sin. It says, if anyone wrongs his brother or sister in Christ for that, for sexual sin, just remember, God is a, an avenger. He'll take revenge on you if you're a person, whether you be a girl who's enticing a guy or a guy who's crossing boundaries with a girl, just know this. God says, I will bring all of that into judgment and I will avenge that. Right? Which, by the way, if you're a person who's been taken advantage of, here's what that text says to you. God will avenge you. God, God will judge all that in the end. Acts chapter 20, another verse for you to write down. Acts 20, 26 to 27. Acts 20, 26 to 27 says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Okay, here's another thing that you would do if you remember God's judgment. You would remember that in God's eyes, he's going to hold us to account for how we 
spoke the truth to others, right? We would evangelize. We'd share the truth. And Paul says, look, I'm innocent because I spoke the whole counsel of God to you. I told you the truth, right? I shared the gospel with you. I pleaded with you for your salvation. And those people were Christians. And he says, my conscience is clear, right? There's no blood on my head, so to speak. No blood on my hands because I spoke the truth. Ecclesiastes 12.1, really the ending here, says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, okay? It's super important for you, especially if you're a Christian, to remember God in your youth. Point number three is this. I want you to be strategic to utilize your youth for God. Be strategic to utilize your youth for God. There will come a day when you will hate how your body feels and you will not be able to do as much for the Lord as you can right now. Obviously, there's things that right now you're not equipped enough to do that when you're older, you will be more useful in some areas. What he says here is, no, 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 use your youth. Use it for God. 1 Corinthians 7 says single people have an advantage over married people when it comes to ministry. There are things about me even being married to Alexandra that hinder ministry. I know it sounds odd and mean and weird. Um, Obviously, I think it's helpful. It's helpful for me. It's helpful for you girls. But I could do a lot more if I wasn't married. You could do a lot more if you were not married. You could be at more games. You could have more evangelism conversations. You'd be out. You'd be like the Apostle Paul, man. You could do that if you're not married. Right? And those of you who are not going to take the path of marriage, just know that if you're going to choose, okay, I'm going to be single and I'm going to do it for God, God has things in store for you, gifts for you, and advantages and opportunities for you that are probably beyond your wildest imaginations. Right? You can serve God in amazing ways. But all of you, uh, obviously right now, are in that season of singleness. You have opportunities to serve God in your youth. You can be Adipat servants. I think one of the helpful things um, is to remember people who've gone before us who use their youth. There's a guy who wrote a famous commentary. His name is Matthew Henry. Maybe you only know his name because he wrote a, a big, long book all about the Bible. He took every passage of the Bible, and he wrote something about it. He's got all of his sermons, and they're there. And he wrote this a long time ago. He was born in the 1600s. He didn't even publish that, that big, full volume until 1706. Right? So this guy lived a long time ago. He lived in England and all this stuff. He's a smart kid. He started reading the Bible when he was three years old, right? Super smart. He was able to read Latin and Greek when he was nine, right? I don't think he was a genius. I just think he worked pretty hard at it. Um, He started training for ministry when he was an 18-year-old. He became a pastor when he was 24 years old. Um, He got married to Catherine uh, two years after that. So he'd been a pastor for two years. He's working for God, trying to preach, trying to share the truth to people. Actually, at that time when a lot of people didn't want to hear the truth. Um, Got married to Catherine. Two years later, um, Catherine died while she was giving birth to their first daughter. Catherine was only 25 years old. This guy, Matthew Henry, is only about 27. She died. Um, so he named his daughter Catherine after the mom who died. Um, sadly, only two weeks later, uh, baby Catherine died also. Um, all the while, he's preaching, he's writing. Um, a couple years later, he marries a lady named Mary. Okay? Uh, she gives birth to a baby girl. Right? She dies in infancy gives birth to another baby girl, a third baby girl. This baby girl dies as well. They, have, they go on to have even more kids, about seven more kids, who all were able to live to adulthood. Um, the reason I say all that is because Matthew Henry wrote about this passage, and I think he wrote one of the most impactful things that I read all week about Ecclesiastes 12. Um, he says, It's the greatest absurdity and ingratitude imaginable to give the cream and the flower of our days to the devil and to reserve the bran and the refuse and the dregs of them for God. 
this is an offering that's torn and lame and sick for sacrifice, referencing the Old Testament. It's like giving to God our worst. If, if we don't give God our youth, it's like we're giving God the last years of your life. You're giving God your worst. He goes on to say, you, you know, the best thing about serving God in your youth is when you're old, your conscience will be so clear. You will have a lot of assurance and strength when you're old. And when you come to die, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry and have all this regret. He says at the end of that passage, he says, how can we expect God should help us when we are old if we will not serve him when we're young? That's powerful. That's impactful. I hope that that inspires those of you who are Christians. Use your youth for God. At the end of our adulting series here, I think it's helpful to remember that God has given us the gift of youth. We obviously have to grow up, but he calls us to use it for his glory. So let's commit to do that this school year. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you are a good God who bestows great gifts on us. We're thankful for the gift of youth, that we get to wake up pain-free, that most of us are healthy, and that you've given us that health. We know it's a gift from you. We know the days are coming where we will not have that gift in the same way anymore. We'll look back on our younger selves with envy, wishing that we used our youth better. I pray that we would live without regret, that we would not look back at our youthfulness as old people with a ton of regret. Most importantly, when we stand before your judgment seat, I pray that we'd be proud of how we spent our teenage years as 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, especially here this year. I pray that we'd make the most of it and we'd serve you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, you are dismissed. Fruit over there.